Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Why don't we start this Thursday by talking hockey? It is so good to have hockey back. If you saw that pregame intro when the Vegas Golden Knights hosted the Seattle Kraken, you know how awesome it is to have hockey back. I mean, that pregame visual effect of the Kraken on the ice actually was one of the cooler things I've seen in quite some time. That would be enough to make a non-hockey fan immediately throw down, immediately throw on a sweater, and start pounding on the glass. Good stuff, right? And as you know, I love talking hockey. Bella loves when I talk hockey. It's a place where you can always, always get quality hockey content. This is a place where you can always talk hockey. I can talk about this season. I can talk about whether or not Colorado is the team to beat. Or if you want, we could talk about the pressure that Toronto is facing to finally deliver. We could talk about the possibility of John Cooper and Tampa Bay going back to back to back. A number of you have been asking for my prediction. And is that going to happen? I can talk about any of these things. I can talk hockey on this show. You can talk hockey on this show. There is so much to talk about when it comes to hockey. However... Let's be very clear about this. Let's be very clear about the one thing we are not going to talk about. We're not going to talk about how certain former hockey greats look today. That's not going to happen. There is no room for that bullcrap here. There's plenty of room to talk about hockey, but no room to talk about personal appearances in hockey. And yes, I know that a certain great is part of a new NHL broadcast. You don't need to alert me to that fact. Just like you don't need to alert me to anything about his latest appearance. This is just like a few weeks back when a few of you losers want to come up in here and crack your jokes about Drew Brees and his hair. It was moronic then, and it's not any more intelligent a month later with a different guy, right? Again, I'm going to ask the question, why do you care? What difference does it make to you what people do or don't do with their personal appearance? If a guy goes bald, you crack him for losing his hair. If a guy does something to address that, you crack him for that too. So that person can't win. Nobody can win. And God forbid a guy puts on a couple of pounds in retirement. If any former athlete starts to enjoy life just a little bit and isn't walking around with 5% body weight, and an eight-pack, then you murder them too. They put on two pounds. You hit them with a ton of bricks. Same thing with a guy whose hair starts to go white. At the first sign of gray, and again, these are things you really are not able to control at all, right? At the first sign that somebody's going gray, you start to lose your collective minds and gloss him Santa Claus or Gandalf. But if the same guy does anything... About that gray, you're coming for them like the wolves after Liam Neeson in that movie. Hell, Carlos Boozer used some spray paint on his head once, like, I don't know, a million years ago. You're still killing this guy for it. Again, these guys can't win. That's why I'm not talking about that NHL analyst last night. You want to talk about his analysis? Great. Actually, not great. We don't need to be here dissecting what other people say about the games. I'm not here to talk about other people in the business. I've never been about that. You know this. Now, if you want to talk about that guy's playing career, we can do that. Actually, that's worth reviewing every once in a while because it was so amazing, so incredible that it's comedy. It's like it was made up. I'm talking about the fact that he's not just the all-time points leader in the NHL, in the history of the sport, but that he has nearly 1,000 more than anybody else. You want to hit that? That's cool. Like Alex Ovechkin is one of the greatest players of all time. You could double his career points, and it still wouldn't touch Wayne Gretzky's record. That's way more interesting to me than some idiot saying that somebody hit Gretzky's head with some Benjamin Moore. Do you even know that he's doing anything to that hair? How do you know it's not bad studio lighting? How do you know it's not a tough camera angle? Did you ever think about any of that? Hey, how about this? 
He's the all-time leader in goals. But if you took away all his goals, he would still be the all-time points leader. I'm talking about crazy stats like that. He has more assists than anybody else has goals and assists combined. All right? You want to talk about that? We can. This guy was so good, he had an animated TV series with Michael Jordan and Bo Jackson, and they were crime fighters. That's what this dude's about. So what do you say we talk about that and not his lettuce? I care about his insight, not what he looks like. Tell me what you've learned from the guy and not your latest sick burn for the guy. Anything about how this guy took his shoe polish to his head instead of his shoes is going to get you run. Nobody gives a damn. Just don't come in here with some vain Gretzky tweet or stain Gretzky tweet or Rogaine Gretzky tweet or anything like that. Nobody dropped Valspar on his head. He didn't fall into a gigantic bucket of Sherwin-Williams. Notice I'm not smiling when I say this. You know why? It's not funny. Anything you want to tell me that you think is hilarious, trust that it's not. It's just not. And he's not going with that hair color to distract from what has happened to his face. Knock that off, too. Knock it off! Let's just talk hockey. Let's talk about just hockey and not just for men. This is not a topic. This guy's hair color. And whether or not he actually did anything to it. I don't even know if he did. They're all buttholes out there. They They really are. They are all buttholes out here. They really are. If you're here to talk about the great one. One of the greatest athletes ever. You best come at it with some respect. And not some Sherwin-Williams smack. Because as far as I'm concerned, 99 will always, always, always have karma in my book. We're going to the finals, and I just think it's just tremendous for the uh, people in, about, in L.A. And uh, to uh, my friend Jim Rohn, we got the karma going. All right, certainly do. One of the earliest examples ever of karma. The guy's sitting in the locker room after winning the Western Conference on a team that never won Jack. And he looks into the camera and says to my good friend Jim Rome, we've got the karma. So you think I'm going to allow any of you morons to come in here and talk about the color of his head? Come on, man. You are a moron and a fat ass if you think I'm going to allow that. Hey, let me ask you something. Does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that allows you to catch the game live, another one that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights from your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Now, let me tell you about a simple way to get all of that entertainment that you love, but without all that hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. And it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can catch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in the same place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part is there is no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion. Get your TV and your life together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. I'm speaking of Greg Berhalter. Greg, it's good to have you back. How are you? Hey, Jim. How you doing? Good, dude. Good. Let's talk a little mindset really quickly, Greg. So, oh, take yeah, me, you know it. Yeah, take me back. Before last night's match, you were coming off that tough result in Panama. You had a quick turnaround, and then you had to play Costa Rica. What was your message to the team after the loss on Sunday? And then how'd you go about getting them ready for last night? You know, it was a challenge to the team to respond. Um, you know, we, we coming into the window, it was always a one-game-at-a-time mentality. So how how quickly do you push Panama out of the way and then refocus on Costa Rica? And, you know, to double down on that, you know, we gave up a goal in the first minute of the game, and now it's about, okay, how do we respond from not only a pro performance in Panama but going down in the game really early um, against Costa Rica. And the guys did a fabulous job of staying poised and just focusing on the game plan. Greg Berhalter is my guest. Of course, I was going there next. You did fall behind one nothing in the first minute. When that happened, what went through your head? What were you thinking? 
I think it was just really trying to assess the next couple of minutes and see how the, what the guys, what, you know, what the body language was like, what the, the movement was like, how they're executing the game plan. You know, and I turned to the assistant coaches about 15 minutes in the game. I said, we're fine. We got this because we're really playing well. And, you know, even being down, we're confident that we're going to get back into it. Talking to Greg Berhalter, you know, you and I have talked about this in the past, that you've got a really young team, but you've talked about the resilience of the pool of players in the past. I know you're never looking to start a match like that, but what did you make of the way they kept their heads and the way they responded to taking that punch early on, especially given their youth? You know, it was impressive. It was impressive that they just, you know, that the group just stuck to the plan and, and kept going and wasn't phased by it. And, you know, maybe it was the, the consequence of giving up a goal so early that you know there's a lot of time to go. You know, maybe it's it's the fact that we've been through that before. You know, the Gold Cup final, in the Nations League final, we gave up a goal in the first two minutes. But, you know, I can't speak highly enough about this group and how, you know, the qualifying is an absolute grind. Every game is a final. And these guys have been rolling with it and just battling through it, and um, it's been fun to see so far. We're talking to Greg Burhalter. It's fun to talk about. Let me ask you about the 25th minute. Serginho Dest had an absolute rocket of a goal from the edge of the box with his left foot. You've been around the sport a long, long time. You know what kind of talent he has. How special was that particular goal? You know, we had a great vantage point. We were right behind, right behind him as he's shooting, and you just see it. And and the goalie of Costa Rica is one of the best goalkeepers in the world. So when you, you, know, you hit a shot like that, you, you know you're just hoping he doesn't pull out some some magic and save it. But Sergino is a, a top talent. Um, you know, we I challenged him before this camp to be more offensive and, and really try to make an impact on the offensive end. And he had an assist and a goal in this in these three games. So you know, really proud of his effort. I mean, so you've said it yourself, Greg, that this guy can be as good as he wants to be. When you see a goal like that especially considering his shoe was untied, and then you see a performance like that. I mean, how good can he be, and does he know how good he can be? You know, I think he's, he's, he's starting to learn that. Um, you know, again, we're talking about a very young player who has a lot of experience at a high level, but um, still needs to understand that he can take it to an even a greater level, and he can, you know, he can be one of the best in the world. But for him, it's about just understanding that, embracing that, and then going after attacking. Let me ask you this. Like, it'd be easy to focus on that goal and the finish, but the buildup to that goal included 13 passes among nine players over more than 30 seconds. How much pride is there for you, not just in that goal, but in the buildup to that goal? It, you know, it was a good game, a good performance, and it, it's really when we're at our best, Jim, it's, it's collective. And, and that goal um, typifies it. It was a great, great finish. But, you know, when you see the ball circulation, the movement by the guys, um, you know, that's when we're playing our best soccer. Talking to Greg Berhalter, talking about last night's win. Right, so overall, you were able to dominate possession. And then, Greg, in the 66th minute, Timothy Weah's ball found the back of the net. What did you make of that moment? You know, Serginho had another great pass behind the back line. We wanted to threaten their back line. We wanted to put them under pressure. We knew they had a, uh, you know, they had to take their goalkeeper off at halftime, so we knew that was going to be an advantage for us, and we wanted to put pressure on them. And um, you know, you, you can't you can't score if you don't shoot. And, and Timmy was in a great position, made a great run, and had a good finish, and um, you know, a near post goal. But you know, just a great moment for me personally to be back in Columbus, you know, where I was for five years in coaching and seeing all the fans, you know, that that came to the crew games. It was just, it was a great moment. And collectively for the team, it was a great moment. Yeah, and then when we talk about the collectively great moment for the team, I keep going back, Greg, to the youth. But another way of looking at the youth on the field last night is the fact that your oldest starter was younger than Costa Rica's youngest starter. So obviously the three points, that's wild, right? Like the three points are the most important thing. But how important is it for your young players to get this kind of experience? It's 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 crucial. I mean, we're playing a different game right now. We're we're playing, you know, we're freshmen playing against post grads. Uh, you know, that's what that's literally what it is. And but the guys are fearless, and the guys just stay focused on the moment. Uh, they don't get ahead of themselves, and they don't let the past affect them too much. So, you know, it's it's listen. Next window will be the same type of roller coaster, and so, so will the window after that, and the window after that. And hopefully, when we come out of this battle. You know, we're in the top three spots and we're qualified for the World Cup. 
Are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. I'm telling you, Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and it's tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Good, good stuff. And it goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach, wherever. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, clones, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Not to Old Trapper. Old Trapper, what's your beef? We're talking to Greg Berhalter. I want to ask you about another guy, Ricardo Pepe. Didn't score last night, and at this point, it almost feels like a shock, which is a crazy thing to say, right? About an 18-year-old with a handful of caps, but what is it about him that makes him so special and so unique? He's a, he's a killer in the box. He's a, he's a pure finisher. I mean, he had a chance yesterday, this header that, that he tried early in the game, that, like, it's an instinctual type of play by him, and that's what he does. You know, he anywhere around the goal, you know, he, he smells blood and he goes for it. Um, really stays calm, is poised, really smart soccer player. He's another high-level player that we have. All right, so when you talk about him and describe him that way, it kind of makes me think about you, and I want to ask you this. You took a lot of heat after the loss to Panama. Now, you know that goes with the job, but what's it like going from a 2 nothing win over Jamaica when you're able to get some verticality, you got a good result despite playing without two of your best players, and then only a few days later, you have a tough result, and then suddenly everybody's outraged. How did you process that? I, I ignore it, you know, because that's not going to help us win against Costa Rica. And, um, you know, after, after four games, we had the best start in the, first 20, in the last 20 years of World Cup qualifying. And after fifth game, the fifth game, we're the worst team in the world. You know, and that's, that's our business, unfortunately. But I also know that fans want to see us win. And, and I accept that. And, and, Jim, we played like crap against Panama. We didn't, we didn't play good. You know, there should be responsibility for that. And, and I'm okay with that. You know, that's, that's the business. You know, ultimately, we're... We know what we're about internally, and that's what we continue to focus on. See, I think that's exactly what that is, right? That is the business, and yep. there's some ownership in saying we didn't play well against Panama, but we're focused internally. You know, and one more thing I would add to that, Greg, was not that long ago that the U.S. could lose a qualifier, and not only was there not outrage, a lot of people wouldn't even notice or even care. So the fact that there is this kind of reaction and there is this kind of pressure, is it not a good thing? I mean, is this not a classic case of pressure feeling like a privilege i i agree with that i think that's right and um you know the other thing i'd add is that you know there's fear there's fear in people's heads that we're not going to qualify because we didn't last time and that residual effect of not qualifying is still hanging over the program and, and we have to accept that we have to take ownership of that greg berhalter my guest for another moment or so so you wrap up three qualifiers in less than a week now you've got some time before your next match, which is against Mexico on November 12th. How do you approach the next few weeks, and what are your early thoughts on that match in Cincinnati? So first couple of days, I'm unwinding, spending time with family. And then, you know, as we get into Monday of next week, now it's go time. You know, we start focusing on Mexico, which is going to be, you know, our, our premier home game that we have in the, window, in, the, in the whole qualifying series. And then we go away to a, you know, to a scrappy Jamaica team that just got a victory and is calling its way back into the picture. So, you know, we'll prepare. The first thing is to see where, where our guys are at, see who's healthy, and, and chart their progress over the next three weeks. And then, and then get ready to play, get ready to attack these teams. Hey, great. Lastly, you mentioned family. Since uh, I kind of know the family a little bit, I'm really curious. Like, how, how, what kind of an impact does it have on the family? I mean, are you still just dad and this is just dad doing work? Or are they kind of caught up in living and dying with each win and loss, although you're not doing that per se? You know what I'm getting at? Like, what's it done to your family dynamic? You know, they're, they're just 100% behind the team, and they put everything into each and every game, and, and they just love it. You know, Rosalyn travels to as many games as she can, um, just in for the day. And then, um, you know, the family's watching. I mean, it's, it's, it's really special. You know, my extended family as well. Everyone's just so behind the whole, the whole thing. That's great, and they're old enough to understand it and get the experience. I think that's just awesome. So the next match is Mexico, November 12th in Cincinnati. He is the head coach of the U.S. men's national team, Greg Berhalter. Greg, I really appreciate you coming on after that. I'm glad you got that win. Congrats. Enjoy the time, and I'll be looking forward to the next time we talk and seeing the guys play. Thanks for having me, Jim. I got to tell you about this crazy experience. 
the first moment that I sat in my ex chair, I was like, whoa, are you kidding me about this? This is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. Like, I never actually looked forward to sitting in my office until I got my ex chair. Fact. Let me ask you this. Can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? Doubt it. My ex chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? Doubt that. My ex chair can. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. These are all reasons I love my ex chair. And sometimes even if I'm not working, man, I just sit in my ex chair just so I can, you know, get that feeling. So take my advice. Try X-Chair for yourself. Risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never, ever go back. I'm telling you. Go to xchairrome.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, R-O-M-E.com. Or call 1-844-4X-Chair for 100 bucks off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month xchairrome.com xchairrome.com in the wake of the Brooklyn Nets deciding that they did not want Kyrie to be a part-time player sources close to Kyrie spoke to the athletic and they tried to explain exactly what he was thinking among the things mentioned at the time were that Kyrie quote is not anti-vaccine later that was underlined quote to be clear Irving's stance is not believed to be anti-science, according to sources. End of quote. So let me be, let's see if I'm clear on this. He's not anti-vaccine and anti-science, but he's not getting the vaccine or following science. Instead, quote, to him, this is about a grander fight than the one on the court And Irving is challenging a perceived control of society and people's livelihood, according to sources, with knowledge of Irving's mindset. Quote, end of quote. And then this chaser, quote, Kyrie wants to be a voice for the voiceless. End of quote. One source said. All right, so naturally you might wonder, if the guy wants to be a voice for the voiceless, Why isn't he speaking now? Why didn't he explain his thoughts at Media Day? And why is he speaking through anonymous sources right now if he wants to be a voice for the voiceless? The argument being that if you want to be a voice for the voiceless, you should, I don't know, be a voice? Wouldn't it be the best idea to just have this guy speak for himself if you are a voice for the voiceless? So last night, he hops on IG, he goes Instagram Live, and he speaks. Yeah, it didn't go too well. Honestly, about halfway through, I was wishing for anonymous sources once again. Because whoever it was who was speaking on Kyrie's behalf without actually being Kyrie was a lot better than the actual Kyrie. And here's the thing. Like, I'm of two minds when it comes to Kyrie right now. The responsible thing is to play some of his IG speech because an elite player on the best team in basketball deciding that he's not going to play is a very big story. It is. At the same time, man, it is so tired. It's, it's a big story, but it's more of a tired story. And you know why that is? Because it's dumb. I mean, it's genuinely stupid. The constant look-at-me stuff This followed by, why are you looking at me? Act. He's getting really, really old. You know, this guy's saying at media day that he was going to be there every day for his team while literally not being there for his team when he said it. I mean, that's not only just tedious and tired, it's a lie. I never thought that I would say this, but seeing Kyrie's stuff last night had me wishing, yearning for the good old days of Urban Meyer like two days ago. Bring back Herb. Let's talk more about Herb. Herb is actually more fun because at least Herb gives the world new stuff every single day. One day, Herb is quitting on his team. The next day, he's saying that his quarterback can't do a quarterback sneak. And then right after that, he's talking about having the greatest offense in NFL history when he has one of the worst teams ever. Kyrie, though, has been doing the same stuff for years. Listen, I don't doubt that he's sincere in his decision. I just don't care. Like, he may truly believe what he's saying, but what he's saying makes no sense whatsoever. 
The less I have to talk about Kyrie, the better. I'll talk about it now, and then I'm really hoping that I don't have to talk about it ever again because this is a very simple story. Story being this, there is a rule. There are consequences for not following the rule. Just like the game of basketball itself, there are rules. There are consequences for not following the rules. You can't just decide you're going to pick up the basketball and run down the floor with it, like football, without dribbling and shout, no, 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 my choice, my choice, and I should not be demonized for it. Well, yes, it's your choice. And no, nobody is demonizing you for it. They just think that you're an idiot. I'm not sure how many people are making Kyrie out to be a bad guy. They're just making him out to be a dumb guy or a confused guy or a guy who's just not making any sense and a guy was just kind of riffing without much logic behind it. Here's an excerpt that Chris Haynes posted. Make these convictions yourself. Like, I got to make these myself. Because it's going to continue to revolve around this and that. And, yo, you're going to lose out on money. and You're going to lose out on this. Like, so what? It's not about the money, baby. It's not always about the money. It's about choosing what's best for you. You think I really want to lose money? You think I really want to give up on my dream to go after a championship? You think I really just want to give up my job? You think I really just want to sit at home and 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 not go after the things with my teammates that I, I've been able to, to grow with, to learn with, to learn that it takes sacrifice in this space? Because we could be easily at home chilling with our families, but we're choosing to go out there and perform. You know, and even in that job, like that that's a dream come true. I've been working on that since I was in fourth grade. You think I want to give up my livelihood because of a mandate, because I don't have accommodations, because I'm unvaccinated? Come on. All right, quote, you think I really want to give up my dream to go after a championship? Yes. Yes, I really do think that, because that's exactly what you're doing. Quote, you think I really just want to give up my job? Yes, because you're doing that too. You think I really just want to sit at home and not go after the things with my teammates? Yes, because you're also doing that. You might not be happy doing that. I mean, I hope you're happy, and I hope this decision does bring you peace. But all the things you're talking about are the consequences of your decision. If the things that you were mentioning were important enough, you would be vaccinated by now, and you would be with your team right now. They all did, but you're not. And then when he started talking about sacrifice and saying that it would be easier to be chilling at home with his family, I mean, isn't that exactly what you're doing? You've got that whole thing twisted here. Your teammates are the ones who made a sacrifice. They're the ones doing what they need to do to be there for each other. You're not. They're the ones who aren't at home chilling with their families. You're at home. They're the ones choosing to perform. You aren't. And do I think that you want to give up because of a mandate and because you don't have accommodations? Yes, I do. That's how a mandate works. That's a mandate because that's a city that was devastated by COVID in the early months of the pandemic. Like, you're welcome to not play, but don't make this out to be some sort of grand statement. There is a rule. There are consequences to that rule. End of story. You know, it's kind of like you can't play the game and they're going to give you 10 fouls, but everybody else six. He is Jim Trotter. Jim, good morning. What's up? How are you? Romy, what's going on, man? Good to talk to you, Jim. I wish we had better subject matter, but actually it's very important subject matter. So let's just jump right into it. Jim, Friday, there was a Wall Street Journal report on the email from John Gruden regarding Demora Smith. What was your reaction to that email when you first saw it? Um, I really didn't have much, Romy. It was, it was, it was more of, is anyone surprised by this? Um, you know, because it, what, what surprised me more than anything is people acting like this was something unusual or this might be a one-off in the NFL. And the reality is John Gruden and Bruce Allen are not the only ones who speak this way in the NFL. All this was was the curtain being pulled back and things that are said in the dark coming to light. That's all. So, Initially, I wasn't I wasn't worked up about it because, as I've said before, you know, I know of owners who have said things that are much worse, but it's not known publicly or it hasn't been printed publicly what they have said. And therefore, they get away with it or it's covered up by the league. So none of this shocked me or surprised me. Jim Trotter is joining us. Jim, I agree with you. My first thought when, when I saw that was 
I'm not shocked by this and believe this. This is not the only person in that league who's saying something like this. I mean, safe to assume that's the case. If they're not Gruden and Allen, if they're not the only ones in positions of authority, they're having conversations like that, Jim. What do you think that that would say to Eric Bieniemy or Todd Bowles or Byron Leftwich? and whether or not they're going to get a fair shot as a head coaching candidate, what must they think when they see this? That they're not going to get a fair shot. Look, Romy, what this said to me after, after you know, learning of what Gruden said of DeMora Smith, to me it was just another reflection that at the highest levels of the NFL, there is this passive-aggressive behavior towards black people. And what do I mean by that? I mean that when you look at the NFL as a whole, not just on the field, but the league office at NFL media, Blacks are not represented um, to the point that they should be. At the league office, we've got, what, 11 executive vice presidents, I was told. Only two of them are black. If you look at NFL media, where we cover a player population that's 70% black, there is not one black person who's at the decision-making table when determining how we, we are going to cover these men. Um, you go to the, to the field. You and I both know the numbers in terms of head coaches and general managers is appalling. You go to the front office, there's only been one black club president in the history of the NFL, and that occurred, uh, what was it, last year after this Washington football team investigation. So from my standpoint, there is this passive-aggressive behavior within the league that says to black people, you can entertain us, you can work for us, you can um, um, play for us, but when it comes to you actually having some authority and some decision-making power within this league, you're not going to have it. And so if I'm Eric Bieniemy and I'm Byron Leftwich and others, the next time the league trots out this, this statement that, well, the reason there's a lack of diversity among head coaches and GMs is because the pipeline is lacking, I'm going to look at you and say, tell me again what John Gruden said to Bruce Allen. And, again, that's not speaking to someone who's just a bar buddy someplace. That is a person who is a president or was a president of a club. And as you know, the club president is one step below the owner. Bruce Allen has the authority, had the authority to hire and fire at the highest levels of the organization. And so when you know that he is engaged in that kind of conversation, then you know that blacks do not have a fair opportunity in this league um, at large. We are talking to Jim Trotter. So, Jim, to that point, and as you have said, something needs to be done, and that something is not another slogan or a hashtag. (laughs) What does need to take place in order to increase diversity in team leadership so that some of these conversations do fundamentally change? You know, I'll say this first, Romy. I always find it interesting that blacks are are asked to uh, fix a problem that they didn't create. So from that standpoint, you know, it shouldn't be on me or any other black to tell the NFL what you need to do to correct a problem that you created. Having said that, my suggestion would be, first and foremost, to start to get some diversity and representation at the top of the organizations and the top of the league office. You know, have people of color sitting down at that table when some of these discussions and these decisions are being made. And if you're not going to do that, then there's really nothing else to talk about because your actions will speak louder than your words. And that's why I have said, I'm done with hashtags. I'm done with slogans. I'm done with with the Black National Anthem being played before games. I'm done with money being contributed to to social justice causes. I want to see real change at the top. And at the top, it means having a diverse group of people who are having discussions about how to deal with these issues. And we don't have that in the NFL. We are talking to Jim Trotter. So, Jim, there are 650,000 emails that are part of the investigation into the Washington football team. To the best of anybody's knowledge, the Gruden email on Friday was the first one to leak. Why has more of that investigation not come to light? In other words, why is John Gruden the only person to lose his job as a result of this investigation? It's really stunning, um, Romy, to be frank with you. As I've said, I'm asking the question, what does an owner have to do to be kicked out of the league? I mean, Daniel Snyder um, had over 40 sexual harassment claims against his organization. He now We now know that his club president was engaged in racist, homophobic, and misog- misogynistic um, conversations with someone. So if I, as an owner, oversee that sort of culture within my organization, I'm thinking that's something the NFL does not want. 
But all that's happened to this point is that Daniel Snyder got a $10 million fine, which to you and me may sound big, but to him it's nothing. And was told he has to cede day-to-day control of his team indefinitely to whom? To his wife, who he is with every day. So are we naive enough to believe that he is not having some conversation with his wife about what, what should be done with this team? So I ask the question again, what does an owner have to do to be bounced out of the league? And it's funny, you know, my former colleague, Jamel Hill, who I respect tremendously, she tweeted out he has to kneel. And that's probably the only way that, that one of these owners would be kicked out of the league. We know Jerry Richardson was run out of here, but my understanding is that he had planned to get out even before um, he was accused of, of the claims that were made against him and his organization. So from my standpoint, again, Romy, um, I, I don't, it, it, it mystifies me. And I believe that the reason that the NFL is, is not going to make these other emails transparent is because there's a lot more in there. That's probably very damning. And it shows the tentacles of this thing and particularly the tentacles of racism that, that exist in the NFL. And they don't want us to know about it. If we know one thing about the NFL its mantra is protect the shield. So during the original Spygate case, when the Patriots were found to be guilty of, of videotaping opponents' um, uh, signals and practice, whatever you, it was, what did they do? They destroyed the evidence so that we could never see the extent of what was going on. Now fast forward to the Washington football team investigation. What did they do? They asked for an investigation and said, oh, by the way, we don't want a written report on it. Why is that? Well, they say it's to protect the, the people who had made claims against the team, which I find to be laughable from this standpoint. Whenever you have a legal case, let's say a rape case, what do they do? They redact the name of the person making the claim, or they identify the person as, let's say, Jane Doe, Jane Doe 1 or Jane Doe 2. You could have done the same thing with this Washington football team investigation. So I don't buy that, that they did not ask for a written report because they wanted to protect the victims. I believe it's because they don't want us to know the extent of what was really going on. Jim Trotter, my guest, I think all of that's fair, Jim. So having said all of that, and that they're always going to fall back to protect the shield, do you have any sense then how that first email came out? None, and it would be unfair of me to speculate, so I won't. Um, I just find it very curious, as you do, that it was leaked about one specific individual. And, and let me say this too, Romy. I find, I'm, 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 I'm fascinated, mystified, whatever word you want to use, that Bruce Allen walks away from this without any sort of consequence. You know, they, he, he was fired or let go, whatever term you want to use, um, prior to the investigation starting. And he's not feeling any pain from this, even though he was intimately involved in it. Again, it's John Gruden who's, who's the only one who has really felt the pain or consequence of what went on, and he wasn't even involved with what went on with the Washington football team. And I'm not saying I feel sorry for John Gruden. I'm just saying it's really curious that he's the only one who has has taken shrapnel from this. Extremely curious. Extremely curious. Jim Trotter, my guest. All right, Jim, before I let you go, and I appreciate your thoughts on that topic, completely different note, though, I did see you tweet earlier in the week that you were looking for a ticket to Game 5 tonight in San Francisco. Did you have any luck? I did, but Romy, the thing I forgot is I promised my daughter I would take her to the airport at 4.30 on Friday morning, and therefore there's no way I can get back from San Francisco in time to to keep my promise. So even though I had a friend reach out to me and say they had a ticket, I had to pass up on it, and I will be be, um, watching on television tonight just like so many others. Family first. Family first, Absolutely. and that's going to be a great Game 5. He is a reporter and a storyteller for NFL Media. He is a Hall of Fame voter, again, the author of Junior Seau, The Life and Death of a Football Icon. My guy, Jim Trotter. Jim, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Great job, as always, and always good to have you on the program. Appreciate you, Romy.
Live from Southern California, this is the Garrett Rich Show on CBS Sports Radio. Oh, baby. Talk to me, Jerry Rafferty in Baker Street. One of the best Yacht Rock songs there ever was. In fact, probably the best Yacht Rock song there ever was. I know we're not supposed to talk about the bump music that comes in, but I love me some Baker Street. It reminds me, actually, because we, little known fact, a little behind the scenes here, we all drive in to the studio every day on Baker Street. So I believe, I think in this song, every time we come in and it has the one rule that I always have for all Yacht Rock songs and that is a sax solo. In fact, this thing has like four sax solos. That's what makes it the king. And I love it. Jerry Rafferty, thank you, my man. Baker Street. And with that, I welcome you to the second annual Garrett Ritt Show. My continuing slow-moving coup on the most iconic sports radio show in history. The show it took Jim 30 years to build. The show that put him in the Hall of Fame. The show that put Tom Hanks in the ground is now the show I have complete control over for the next 15 minutes or 20, 25 minutes, whatever it takes. I say 15 minutes because I think you both know, or all of us know, that I really took control of this thing the day I walked into that door about two and a half years ago. In fact, you know what? 15 minutes is not going to be nearly enough. Smackerman, Rich, you may have to sit this one out, my man, because... I'm probably going to be going a little heavy in this bad boy. 15 minutes just isn't anywhere near enough for me to off any of the celebrities that you all had in your JTP death pool for me today. So I'm sorry to disappoint, but Forrest Gump's year-old carcass is just going to have to suffice because other than Hanks and obviously the career of Gary Sinise, everyone else in that movie is very much alive and well. So sorry, Lieutenant Dan. You miserable, legless D-bag. But you had it coming, and we all know it. Forrest, I never thanked you for saving my life. All right, so we're off. We're off and running. So far, so good. And uh, I think you're going to have to dig in a little for the rest of us, especially for a few minutes, because we have a very special guest coming up in a few minutes. So if you do nothing else, please, please stick it out until he or she gets here. I guarantee you it will be worth the wait. Or even, I guess, even the better scenario for all of you, that person doesn't show up, and I'm left here naked with about 10 minutes to fill, absolutely nothing to fill it with except stories of, I don't know, canceled Garth Brooks tickets before I even get going on this beautiful buffet of sweets that I have laid out in front of me, as you all see. So, yeah, why don't we go to a call first? Why not? We have them lined up. I think we had someone on hold that wanted to talk to uh, on the Garrett Rich Show. Why don't we bring him up? Who is it? Paul's dog. Yes. Paul, talk to me. Hello, Ike. Ooh, good show, dude. Remember when you were president of the United States? Did you kill James Dean? <laughs> Rock him. He's out. Rough. Nice, Paul's dog. Rock Thank him. you very much. Thank him very, very much. Now, I'm looking at this buffet, and I'm just now, this is, this is not cool. All right, I put all this, I took all the time to take all this in here, and all of a sudden, I've got a freaking thing of jelly beans in front of me. Come on, I have the Swiss Miss, the Rolos, the caramel mm. corn. I had the cheer wine. I didn't bring it out, but I'm going to. Mm. This is not cool. Jelly beans suck. Jelly beans really, really suck. In fact, if you get nothing else out of this segment at all, if nothing else goes right for me the rest of this segment, just know. Jelly beans suck. In fact, I may never have a better and more important take in the rest of my life. Jelly beans suck. In fact, they suck to the power of a thousand sucks. So, in a word, F jelly beans. Take all this for what it's worth. I think we have one more call here. Who are we going to go to this time? How about Susie and Wisco? I remember Susie and Wisco. I believe uh, she was putting on the writ about a year ago this time. Susie, welcome. Hey, Red. This is so awesome. Thanks for taking my call. You made it. A very happy birthday to you and Jim. And I wanted to personally wish you a Merry Ritmus and caution you not to eat too many ho-ho-hos so you don't get diabetes. I'd like you to be around for a real long time, possibly long enough for me to write a sequel anthem. So way to go, dude. Thank you, Susie. Amazing. I love it. Thank you to Paul's dog. 
Thank you to Susie. But we do indeed have our special guest on the line. I got to tell you, I am super pumped for this, and I hope you guys will be too. We now welcome, he is currently the head of new media at the Peabody Conservatory at John Hopkins University. He is the author of Speed of Sound, writer and director of the award-winning film The Invisible Lighthouse. He wrote the song for and was the bartender in the film Howard the Duck. And I'm, I hope I don't insult him by saying this, but probably without question, the coolest thing about him is that his wife was actually in The Godfather Part Two, which is absolutely incredible. And oh yeah, he just happens to have five Grammy nominations. He played with David Bowie at Live Aid. The government and his mama know him as Thomas Morgan Robertson, but you know him because of this little number. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the jungle legend himself and fellow October 14ther, the professor, Thomas Dolby. Professor, how the heck are you? Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I'm great. It's good to be here. Happy birthday. Oh, my God. Well, happy birthday to you, sir. Uh, and in fact, I'm sorry that I cut into your time. I know like in about 15 or 20 minutes, you're actually going to be teaching a class there at John Hopkins University. I got to ask, what exactly is today's lessons plan? If I was going to be there learning in class with you right now, what are you going to be teaching us all today? Uh, okay, so I teach film and game music at uh, the Peabody Conservatory. So I'll be teaching my first year undergrads how to evoke fear with music. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. Now, listen, you are a rock legend. You've been known to hang out with other rock legends, and I can't even imagine some of the parties you've probably been to in your day. What is the best birthday party you've ever had yourself? Have you had one? Have you had a, a big blowout at some point? You know, I'm, I was never that into big blowouts, particularly. Uh, I was always a slightly reluctant rock star. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. uh, and I'm kind of glad that I've sunk back into relative obscurity now. Um, I, I like that sort of, uh, you know, rarefied, uh, iconic legend status much better than I like being out and about being a celeb. I feel you there. Well, a bit of a humble brag here, but for my birthday tonight, I'm actually going to see the Stones at SoFi Stadium here in Los Angeles. It's a big deal for me. I've never seen the Stones before. Now, I know you and Mick and Keith and Ronnie, you're all fellow Londoners. So I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to naturally assume you're all best friends. So are you actually doing anything for your birthday tonight? And have any of your previous birthdays involved any of the members of the Stones? You know, I've never actually met the Stones. I'll tell you a funny story, though, about my, my wife, who, as you mentioned, was an actress who was in Godfather 2, among right. other things. Uh, a bunch of friends of mine were going to see the Stones in, in Oakland one night at some stadium or other. It went in a limo, and she said, why can't I go? I said, if you can name three Rolling Stones songs, I will take you along. <laughs> and she didn't make it. Didn't, couldn't, <laughs> so, couldn't pull it off. So it tells you how interested she is in, in music. Um, but no, I mean, I've, I've had some incredible birthdays. But tonight, my dear wife is taking me to see the author David Sedaris in concert. Sure. Um, who's one of my favorite authors, and he's playing at the Symphony Hall in, here in Baltimore. Genius. I love it. I love that you're also good now. So, but I, I'm obviously mentioned, and you just talked about it. You are a professor these days at John Hopkins, but that doesn't mean you're stop you uh, stop touring. As far as I know, in fact, you were in LA as recently as 2018. You played with Blondie, Adam Ant, Soft Cell in Berlin here in LA, which is just amazing. I can't believe I missed that. You were also scheduled for another tour just before COVID hit. Uh, what's the latest plan? Is there going? Are we going to be seeing you on stage anytime in the near future? Yeah, I was really upset, you know, that I was due to play the Greek theater um, last fall. And that would have been an amazing homecoming because, you know, I lived in L.A. for, I don't know, nine, nearly 10 years uh, at the end of the 80s and up there in the Hollywood Hills. And my favorite gig of all time, I think, was the Greek theater on a on a hot, languorous night. Um, so it would have been lovely to have come back there. But unfortunately, that one was canceled. Um, I'll try again. You know, it's like... Um, these sort of rewind retro type concerts can be fun. They can be kind of naff, but the, um, you know, the overall vibe is great. Everybody's taking a trip down memory lane. And the nice thing is that if I can play to thousands of people with the likes of Blondie and, and Adam, then uh, a few more hundred might come and see my own personal gigs. You know, when I'm playing <laughs> the, uh, at the Lhasa club. <laughs> oh man. I love it. The Greek theater is the best too. I've seen so many concerts out there, but Indeed. all right. All right, it's time to get serious now, enough with the niceties, because 
this show, as we just found out last segment with Greg Berhalter of the U.S. men's national team, we are the official home of the English Premier League in the States. Everyone knows this. Though I'm sure it comes as no surprise to our listeners that you are a hardcore 50-year fan of the Hammers of West, West Ham. West Ham United. That's it. I, of course, have adopted Everton, and I'm wearing the kit right now. I did that as my club of choice just over a decade ago when the U.S. had both Tim Howard and Landon Donovan on the same team. We just so happen to be hosting West Ham on Saturday, so i got to ask you, Everton 4-0 or Everton 5-0? Go. <laughs> You know, it could be very even. I think both teams are really on the up at the moment. Uh, you know, you guys have got a cool new manager, even though he's he's a bit of a traitor to your, your noisy neighbors. <laughs> Former Liverpool, um, yeah. And West Ham are actually playing great. You know, it's really a challenge being a West Ham fan, I've got to tell you. You know, it's a lot easier supporting Man U or, or, or Chelsea or somebody. But it's, it's really, you know, you go through hell as a West Ham fan uh, most seasons. But right now we're, we're doing great. Um, you know, with your former manager, David Moyes, right. at the helm, and we've got a great team. So I think it should be a very interesting game this weekend. Yeah, Antonio is one of my favorite players in the league. He's so underrated, so fast, so powerful. And uh, and he's such a sweetheart. It's like he gives the best interviews. He's like the most honest and open guy you can imagine. He just loves the game. Uh, so Rolling Stone once broke down all the fan bases in the EPL. And uh, for my toffees, strangely enough, they said, if you're, a, if you're American, you'll love Heverton. So they obviously nailed that. But for West Ham, they described followers like yourself as, quote, masochists. <laughs> does that pretty much sum up the West Ham fandom experience? Well, I think it does, you know, but it's like we have no choice. I've been supporting them since I was eight years old. Um, you know, same as you were into Everton when, um, you know, Landon Donovan and, and Tim Howe were playing there. In 1966, three of the, the uh, World Cup winning English team uh, were West Ham players, uh, Jeff Hurst, Martin Peters, and, and uh, Bobby Moore. So that was when my eight-year-old self fell in love with West Ham. And since then, I've really had no choice in the matter. I just have to put, support them through rain and shine. Indeed you do. Well, I wish I could wish you luck on Saturday, but I just can't do it. i got to keep with my toffees. Thomas, thank you so much. This was amazing. I'm glad you could spare a few minutes of your time. I know you've got a lot of things going on, but... Sparing us on the Jim Rome Show and the Garrett Rich Show today was a, a real honor. And it was a real pleasure to uh, talk to you. Thanks so much. Thank you. And say hi to all of my friends in the L.A. area. Done. It just happened. <laughs> Thanks, Thomas. How good was that, everybody? My present to you, Thomas Dolby. Some other songs. You may not just know them from Blind Me With Science. You had Hyperactive, One of Our Submarines, Europa, and the Pirate Twins. All of them actually made the top 40 in the United States. One hit wonder in my butt. So Thomas was the man. So thank you so much for everyone. Jim, I want to say thank you for uh, having me in. Craig Kitchen, thank you for having me in. All you listeners for calling in and wanting to be on the show. And uh, also a special uh, shout out to my old man. He's actually, strangely enough, he's under the knife as we speak. He's having a heart procedure, and I'm really hoping for it and wishing for it, big guy. So... Good luck. Thank you again. Rich Ackerman, the CBS Sports Update. Rich, take it away. Their head coach is Jeff Trailer. He joins me right now. Jeff, it's good to have you on. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Jim. Thank you so much for having me. My man, I bet you are. In fact, let me rephrase that. You have won a school record, six straight games to start the year. You are in first in the division. Yesterday, you were meeting with students and handing out tacos. Man, how is your life and how is the vibe on campus? Oh, it's been awesome. I mean, you know, it's just been a when we got back from the Memphis game, you know, it's the first time I could really feel, you know, being Illinois was, was cool, and I think people noticed us a little bit, but then we went on the road and beat Memphis, got back to the airport, had fans there waiting on us. We got back to our new facility, and people there waiting on us, people honking on the way home. So it's just kind of changed. The student body's been fantastic, Jim. We passed out tacos, taquitos, 
you name it, we've done everything we can do to get them to come to the game. I love it. Jeff Trailer joining us. I'm going to ask you about that Illinois win because it was so big for the program. But there are other things I want to talk to you about. I kind of want to start with your road to this place. I mean, you came up as a high school coach in Texas, and we're in places like Big Sandy, Jacksonville, and your hometown of Gilmer. For people who do not know, what is life like as a high school football coach in Texas, and what's it mean to you to be a Texas high school coach? Well, first of all, let me say when I was doing that back in 1990, I, I was watching Jim Rome is burning like I never missed it. I was I was a huge, huge, huge fan, still am. But I appreciate that coach. question. Thank you. Uh, you know, I'm from East Texas. I started as a assistant football coach, head basketball coach, coach tennis, taught four different history classes, drove the bus. You know, you name it. Thank God, Danny Long hired me at Jacksonville. We had Randy McCowan, Josh McCowan, and Luke McCowan. Those guys played the National Football League for 20 years, and we won. A bunch of games. So they got me a head coaching job in Gilmer, which is my alma mater. Uh, just turned it around, won six games in eight, then 10, and 13. Then we won a bunch of state championships. And, you know, Charlie Strong called me and wanted me to come help him at the University of Texas just with his relationship with Texas high school coaches. And that, that's what I am, Jim. I always will be. I'm a Texas high school football coach. Uh, very, very proud of that, our organization, and, and what we do uh, with the student athletes. So that's kind of my story. And, very, very blessed that Dr. Compost and President Amy gave me an opportunity in December 2019. And it's a great story. Jeff Trailer joining us because you mentioned Charlie Strong. I'm going to be very clear about this, too. It's not like that was the only opportunity that you had. You spent 15 years at Gilmer. You won three state titles. The stadium is named after you. In other words, you had a very, very good thing going there, and you did turn down multiple college jobs over the years. But then Charlie Strong calls, and the University of Texas reaches out. What was that decision-making process like for you and your family? It it was gut-wrenching. And I know people say, yeah, really, University of Texas versus Gilmer. But you don't understand how the people at Gilmer had treated me. They, they built me a home on a late lot. My brother lived right beside me with his four kids. I had my three kids. My brother coached the offensive line. Uh, we, we had the greatest situation you can ever imagine. Our, you know, our buddies are on the school board. They're wonderful, wonderful people, great superintendent. But when Charlie called, it was just different. I just felt it in my gut, you know, on that last day championship. I didn't know it would be Texas and Charlie, but I, I had a feeling it was going to be somewhere. My kids had gotten old enough. I was still in great health. I didn't want to be an assistant, Jim. I wanted to be a head coach, and I thought if I went to the University of Texas, I could parlay that with some recruiting uh, to get to become a head coach. And, man, Charlie was so good to me, treated me so fantastic, and we just didn't get it done. And I'll always feel bad for Coach. He's such a good human. Jeff Trailer joining us. That's a great story right there in and of itself. You know, you talk, Jeff, a lot about the fraternity of football coaches and the fact that you've had a chance to learn from so many different coaches, great coaches. Somebody who has also been helpful is current Carolina Panthers head coach Matt Rule. How would you describe the relationship the two of you have? Uh, you know, he's the absolute best. Uh, you know, he tried to hire me uh, when, when I got let go at Texas. And... Um, I didn't go because I'm just an, I'm just an idiot, right? I mean, I just didn't see how in the heck Matt could come down from and come into Baylor and turn that thing around. And I'll be dang, he did. And he just always kept in touch with me. He helped me with job interviews. Uh, he still does. I mean, I had started this triangle of toughness culture. I copied his plan of how he would let his players vote for the single digits, and only his toughest guys, you know, got to wear those single digits, Jim. Well, when I got here. He called me, and he's like, hey, how about you make it the 2-1-0 triangle of toughness, and then you have your, your top kids vote, and they wear the 2, the 1, and the 0, and make it the 2-1-0 triangle of toughness. And I'm like, he's the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. He's call- And literally, we to this day, if you watch us on Twitter, that's our deal. We're the hashtag 2-1-0 triangle of toughness, and it was all Matt Rule's idea. So he's, I don't know why he's taking it. You know why? I'll tell you why. He's very, very loyal to the Texas High School Coaches Association. He knows I'm one of those guys, and uh, he's one of our guys, and he, he's just been fantastic. Man, that is such good stuff. Jeff Trailer joining us. So finish that thought. One of the building blocks is that 2-1-0 triangle of toughness. What is the triangle of toughness all about? Well, it's something – when I was young and at Gilmer, uh, we used to throw the ball all over the yard, and we didn't play very good defense, and we weren't very good on special teams. Then I got lucky and won a state championship. And then those people won and won every single year. And the weather in Texas doesn't just stay perfect for six straight weeks. So you got to play outside. So the wind might come, weather might come, and, and we couldn't throw the ball that night. We'd lose. 
So I just decided to quit being a little young know-it-all and become a grown-up and be a head football coach. So we really started getting better on defense. We started committing to 11 personnel, 12 personnel running the football. So it's something I stole from Pete Carroll years ago. When you're a great, when you're a high school football coach and you've got great players, Jim, all those college guys treat you really good, right? They want your players. So I got to be around the very best coaches in the country, and they gave me total access. And uh, I, I just learned a lot. So I, I've stolen that from Pete Carroll, honestly, just to be great on defense, be physical, have a team first, run the football, and play your best players on special teams. We're committed to doing that. So that's our triangle. We talk about it all the time. As far as our culture, we've got some pillars we live by, and those single-digit guys are the ones that best represent our pillars, and our coaches and our players all vote for that. So if you see a single-digit guy, it's a big deal for us here at UTSA. I love that. Jeff Trailer joining us. So at the start of the year, you go on the road, you beat Illinois in your season opener. How significant was that win for you, the program, the community, everybody involved? Yeah, it was huge. You know, it was the second Power Five win in the history of the school. It was the first Power Five win ever against a big team, a Big Ten team. It, you know, people say it's a negative that we're an eleven-year-old program. Why well, spin it the other way? I mean, it's hard to go to Alabama and Texas and break any records. Those guys have been playing football for a long time. You could come to UTSA and we could break a school record in a heartbeat. You could be remembered forever. So that was one of those kind of deals that we felt like it put us on the map. We could pull it off. And it was a heck of a ball game. Came like all of our games, <laughs> it went down to the very last play. And we were very fortunate and grateful to get out of town and come back home with a victory. Hey, Jeff, I'm on the outside looking in, but this is how that game struck me. Like, you didn't just win that game. You put up nearly 500 yards of total offense, including more than 200 on the ground. The program received a reported payout of $1.1 million. But from the outside, what really struck me about this, and those are all important things, it just seemed like the players went into that game believing they were the better team. Was that the case? And if so, how did you get that message across and that belief within them? We thought we did. We also knew we called them at the perfect time. They just had a huge upset in Nebraska in Coach Billman's very, very first game. Uh, so we knew there's no way they could come back with the same intensity. Um, it was our first game of the year. Now, what's crazy about that, I lost my right tackle on the seventh snap of the game, and I lost my center on the second possession of the game. So we had to do all that with a makeshift offensive line. But I've got a great running back. I've got a great team, and you're exactly right. We felt like we had the best team. No disrespect to Illinois. I, I mean that with all sincerity. We just felt like we had as good a football team as they did. I've got some great receivers at skill. I've got great defensive football players. 21 of our 22 returning starters, Jim. So we're deep. We went out and recruited very well, so we're two and three deep in most spots. Uh, we just have a really good team, and we know we do. And, and that's, I'm trying to make that sound as humble as I can. I'm talking about how great my players are, not, nothing about me and my coaching staff. I'll tell you what I'm hearing, though, Jeff. I'm hearing like – what I'm hearing is you love that team. I mean, you really love that team, and you love those guys. Is that the case with every team that you've been a part of, or is there something different about this particular group? Oh, you know, I've been a head coach 17 years, and um, I, I've always made it about the players, Jim. It, it, it is about the players. Somehow along the way, we, we got lost in all that, right? Some teams are harder to coach than others, let's be honest. And, the, and I've learned this, the better my players are, the smarter a coach I am. Uh, but this is one of those unique teams. We rotate all of our kids pretty much two and three deep. We don't fool around the quarterback that much, obviously. We don't fool around our center very much. But other than that, we rotate everybody else in our team. We're deep, and no one on our team complains about it. It's part of our pillar to be selfless, and my guys live it. If you watch them on their interviews, Jim, if you just see who they are as humans, that's just who they are all the time. So it's a pretty easy team to like. And I know everybody's saying, well, you're 6-0, and so you love them because they're 6-0. and It wouldn't matter. We could be 1-5 and now. We've had five games going right down to the last play. We were 7-5 and last year, and all but two came down to the very end. So we know how fortunate we are. Uh, win or lose, they're, they're unbelievable people. Jeff Trailer joining us. All right, so Jeff, you made it pretty clear how important it is to represent the Texas high school coaches and your background, and especially those guys who have a dream like you had of coaching at the next level. So this is your dream job. This is something that you had tried for once before. It didn't go your way. Then you got it. How special is it to be at your dream spot and have the level of success that you're having? Uh, I just feel like I've been prepared for this before. It was very similar to when I went back home in 2000. Uh, you know, we just had to build it. 
uh, passing out tacos. This isn't the first time I've done that. I mean, that's you got to get people involved. You got to have help. You got to have boosters. Your administration's got to believe in you. And, and we got that done at Gilmer. So it's given me great confidence, Jim, because I wasn't like on a national level. I was making my mistakes as a young coach, and nobody really noticed it. But here's the deal: in Texas, there's, there's pressure to win every Friday night at Booster Club and School Board get together. They'll fire you on the weekend. So I, I'm used to the pressure. Uh, of doing things right with people looking at me. So it's just kind of prepared me for this, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, what I'm doing different this time, Jim, I'm going to enjoy the ride up. Uh, at Gilmer, once we got there, that next 10 years was a grind because they want you to win it every single year. And I, I'm going to enjoy the ride. I, I'm just old enough now. I know not to take it for granted. And I'm not going to stop and not smell the roses this time. Got such a great point. I mean, as part of that ride, and finally, Jeff, do you do you enjoy everything about the ride, or do you kind of <laughs> like what I'm saying is, do you embrace the suck? Can you love the suck, or do you just handle the suck a little bit better? You know what? It's the adults. Uh, the children are fantastic. It's always the adults. As long as I'm in my locker room and I'm with my players, or I'm on a practice field, it's fantastic. Most adults are wonderful. Uh, but sometimes the adult act, the adults act works from the children. Uh, so it's, as long as I'm around my kids, it's always good, Jim. I love that. All right, so UTSA 6-0 and 2-0 in conference play. They are at home Saturday against Rice. Their head coach is Jeff Trailer. Jeff, I appreciate what you had to say about my TV show back in the day. It's great to have you on this show today. I appreciate it very much. Good luck this weekend. Hopefully we can do it again soon. Well, you're always so knowledgeable. You're always on top of your stuff. You always speak your mind. Much respect for many, many years, Jim. Thank you so much. God bless and birds up. Good night now!